Time for the morning brief where we bring our first pundit in for their take on some of the day's big stories. Tim Hudak is here, former leader of Ontario's Conservatives, now at the Ontario Real Estate Association. Nice to have you. Happy Drizzly Thursday. Happy Drizzly Thursday back at you, John Moore. Good morning. It's very funny. Some days it just doesn't feel like the right day. And I was sitting on the couch with uh, Jen (laughs) Shung over at CP24, and she said, what day is it? I said, Thursday. She said, no, it's Wednesday. I said, no, it's Thursday. (laughs) It does feel like a Wednesday. So Olivia Chow ratcheting down the tax increase below 10%. Are you cynical about this? Do you think she was playing us the whole time? You, you know, I, one, of, one of the f- fun jobs I had in my life, John, was when, when Walmart came into uh, to Canada. I got hired as a part of a management team in my early 20s to travel across the country and transform the old local stores into Walmarts. So one thing I remember is the pricing strategy was always to be below the zero. You try to land the last digits, you go to Walmart, usually ends with eights or sevens to try to convince you it's actually a lot cheaper than if it was the higher level. It it, it works for Walmart. I don't think it works in public life. There are aspects of Olivia Chow's mayoralty already that seem dated. Part of her housing policy to have government build and own the homes is an example. And the notion of putting out there, you know, it's going to be 10.5% and all that, and then to expect us to celebrate when it comes below that 10 digit, I don't think people buy it. This is the largest tax increase in the history of the amalgamated city of Toronto. And let's not forget, John Tory's last budget, John, was 7%. So taxpayers in Toronto have been walloped with excessive significant tax increases. I don't think this buys a celebration at all. In fact, I think it's something to to decry. Now, there is some good news for Olivia Chow and company uh, today because the feds have finally decided to pony up some money for refugees. And what's your take on that? Yeah, I'm surprised how easily they, they caved on that. I, I, you tend to need a sustained strategy. And to look for fellow travelers in other cities or the provinces to join on your team and then eventually you know, beat the federal government into submission. What the federal government also wants to avoid is a series of one-offs, a fund for this, a fund for that. You look more for a comprehensive solution to quiet issues down across the board if you're going to put money on the table. So I think Chow has actually done a good job on this by holding the window. I think she could have been even stronger here. But first prize on securing this money goes to Premier Legault in, in Quebec. He has actually been hammering the federal government on the significant growth in asylum seekers. He wrote a letter to the federal government a week uh, before their uh, retreat, and he actually laid out uh, how fast asylum seeking is growing. So this is a, a, a national issue. And secondly, John, he, he not only called for funds for Quebec, but pointed out some things I didn't know, like we have increasing asylum seekers coming from Mexico because they don't have to come with a visa into Canada, so they come and claim asylum. I I don't know if we think of Mexico as the kind of country where we should be accepting asylum seekers from. So bottom line here is, it was a bit of a combo, but first prize goes to Francois Legault for pounding the federal government in Montreal that helped secure these funds. Last time around, 50% went to Toronto, probably be the same again. Yeah, you know what I also suspect, though, when we get into the calculus of all of this, the federal liberals are more worried about seats in Quebec than they are about seats in Ontario, which would be why they're favoring Quebec. I suspect that's part of the calculation. I think his tools were superior as well. And what I liked about Legault's approach 
uh, is that he he did point out the significant flaws in our asylum system. We can paper it over with some short-term cash like they're doing today, John, but we we, we, sh- we need to actually look at the total number of people coming into our country. Do we have the right rules around asylum seekers? And the significant disconnect. If the federal government is allowing them in, then I believe they have a responsibility to make sure they get paired up with supportive homes. They can get trained for jobs. They can become productive members of society instead of dumping them into homeless shelters in big cities. So the latest story I came across where people are complaining about the future of electric cars is that they were doing some crash tests in the United States and since electric cars are heavier they go through guardrails more easily so all of a sudden even though people have a hate on for anybody with an electric car they're worried that they might drive through a guardrail <laughs> I guess I never saw I never saw this this angle um, and I mean thank goodness I guess we have the, the crash test troops out there always testing these types of things you know when you drive down the highway maybe because 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 Deb and I have a l- larger vehicle do you ever really think those guardrails are going to stop you if you go through them it's nice to know they're there I give you some peace of mind but I never thought they could hold yeah. us back uh, either I, I, this is simply a factor of when we built those guardrails likely through the 70s and 80s uh, we didn't contemplate this uh, weight of vehicle um, but my guess is the solution will be electric vehicles will become lighter over time that will put less of a drain on the battery the cost of manufacturing will be lower the evolution of technology of EVs has actually been spectacular and I think they're gonna get just better well and also I don't remember anybody expressing any degree of concern when we moved in North America toward 50% uh, pickup trucks and you know hoods that are shoulder height for you and me and nobody ever said oh well, that's gonna be so dangerous yeah, I mean, I had a Chevy Avalanche for some time, and um, they, I, there's no way those those guardrails were going to hold me or the many other pickup trucks that were on the road. They were built at a different time. Again, nice to know they're there. They give you some peace of mind, not that much. I don't think this is a big deal, except to point out EVs are heavy. So my guess is, just like they've made them far better in terms of their mileage and their speed, they're going to get lighter, too. Yeah, well, this month, Tim, I pick up my new hybrid electric, and I'm very excited to see how that goes. Well, good luck. Just advice from somebody who had one and lost one after like three months. Get the club, lock it up as best you can, and guard overnight and learn to sleep during the day. See, that's funny. I, I thought it would be a disincentive if you have an electric car. Like, does somebody in Nigeria want an electric car? <laughs> I guess so. It was. It was my, my Lexus uh, RV, and it was um, a, my favorite vehicle I, I ever had, John, and I only got to drive it for a matter of months before it was swiped off to Nigeria or someplace like that. Province of Alberta is is coming out with new rules about gender transition and nobody under 17 years old is going to be able to get any kind of confirmation surgery and I find it a bit ironic Tim that the province values parents when it comes to kids changing their pronouns but it doesn't allow parents and kids to make their own choices when it comes to transition yeah, it's an it's an interesting point. I'm actually going to see um, Premier uh, Daniel Smith in in Toronto. She's going to be at the the Johnny McDonald uh, dinner uh, next week. So I'll see if she talks about this. Um, you, you point out a, 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 an important uh, consideration in the system. I, I do on on the basis though. Um, do feel that at, as a parent that I should play an important role uh, in, in my daughter's choices when she is still a teenager. I mean, the notion uh, that a parent wouldn't know if a child 15 or under uh, was changing his or her pronouns, uh, changing their name, I, I do think it's an appropriate approach. Similarly, if they're still in high school uh, and they're older, 16 or older, to have some kind of notice, that, that seems very fair and balanced to me. And, and the notion of changing 
your body so dramatically with uh, uh, suppressing uh, hormones and such, 15 and under, that just seems like too far too fast uh, to me. So those elements as a parent, John, uh, I actually think they're on the right side, and we've seen that in other provinces as well. Although, you know, I know parents of kids who are transitioning and, and at various levels, and I always think it's about the kid, it's about the parents, it's about the medical professionals, it's not about the state. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. The state will tend to set policies in schools, otherwise you can have some confusion and, and inconsistency, and this issue has moved quite quickly. It, certainly, it's, it's the way I usually will, will view this, too. I mean, the parents are there to be loving, to be supportive of their kids, to help them make these types of decisions, to make them the, the best individual possible, the greatest path of success. Yep, there's going to be exceptions, but I think when you don't allow parents to participate, you don't have them have the opportunity to play that supportive role because you're going with the exception uh, and uh, and not the rule. I do think that is wrong-headed policy. And what do you make of this full-court panic that seems to be happening amongst American right-wingers about Taylor Swift? And I've been tracking this for the last few days and passing on little tidbits to the listeners, but, you know, it finally reached an article in Variety where they said that, you know, people, elected officials, talk radio, cable, are absolutely losing their minds. They think Taylor Swift is going to sway the next election. <laughs> no, no. But what she's done is she's swayed the Kansas City Chiefs to eke out over my Buffalo Bills again and me from seeing another Super Bowl, so she does have power. I will say this: I got a lot of admiration for Taylor Swift. I mean, I'm a household with one daughter who's turning ten uh, shortly, another who's sixteen. So. Taylor Swift is on, on constantly through our systems. I, I mean, John, you and I are, as you like to say, of similar vintage. I don't remember an, another as powerful, uh, iconic a singer as Taylor Swift is, is in culture. I mean, we, we have the days of Madonna was very powerful. Cher certainly as well, but nobody quite like, uh, Taylor Swift. The, the cultural impact she has is phenomenal. Just she's using it for the wrong purpose when it comes to football, but she's a hell of a performer <laughs> and I think has done a great job guarding her image. Thanks a lot, sir. Good to have you. Have a great day. Tim Hudak is at the Ontario Real Estate Association.